How many people are happy to be in the house of the Lord today? All right, there we go, there we go. I am so glad that I have the opportunity to be speaking to you guys today. I mean, it's always encouraging to be able to share the word with you. Um, just a little tidbit about what we did this Friday. On Friday, we had the opportunity to go out and be a part of um, Bridge the Bay for um, prayer for the East Bay churches. And we partner up with some other churches in the East Bay. And I got to know some of the pastors there. And understanding the heart of the pastors and their desire to see healing and breakthrough in our community. And knowing that we all are on one accord. I was so blessed to be able to be a part of that. We were able to be able to pray over our cities, over our churches, over our people and all of that. But one of the main things that kind of stuck out to me was um, at one moment um, while we were praying, there needed to be a shift in the atmosphere. And when I say shift in the atmosphere, we were praying, we were praying really hard for our churches, but for some reason, the demand on those prayers we weren't doing. We hadn't positioned ourselves just yet to be able to enter into the heavenlies. And then one of the pastors, um, a friend who, his, who um, the church that we were at, uh, New Life, he came up and began to pray. And it was right in alignment with what we were about to pray that not only that there are workers that are needed for the vineyard, workers needed for the harvest, but we had to be positioned and able to, to receive that harvest. So we were there till about 5 a.m. I thank uh, Josh for being there with us. He stayed with us all the way to the end. Joel came out as well, bless him for coming out and being a part of that as well. But I wanted to stay in the presence of the Lord a little more. You know how you enjoy worship on a Sunday morning? And I get up here and I'm like, oh, I don't want to leave. It was one of those moments. I was like, we can go five more hours. But we had to move on. And we are being invited back out again um, on May 12th. We'll get you that information, but this time it's gonna be in Fremont. We might have to carpool to get there, but another church has invited us to be a part of that. So with all of that said, I wanna propose this to you today. We understand the whole scripture about the workers being few. I pray by the end of this message, you will be able to see yourself as a laborer, as a worker. I like to kind of paraphrase or summarize what they say about the harvest. The harvest is ripe, the harvest is white, and the harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. While I and you embrace that part, we're going to step into joining that with a part of our series. So we're continuing the marked series, Hidden in Christ, and I get to share with you a topic that most of us didn't like and don't like as watch, walking in this Christian walk, and that's leaving everything behind. I also have a subtitle, but we'll get to that a little later. See, before we were surrendering our lives to Jesus, we can pinpoint some reasons, right, that kind of halted us from making that decision. 
Sometimes we found ourselves not in the right church, not around the right community, um, just being a new believer to the Christian faith altogether and not understanding it. So many different ways and things that can keep us from completely walking into surrendering our lives to Christ, right? Can you guys give me some, some reasons why, even for yourself, that you were hesitant at first about surrendering your life to Christ, or it doesn't have to be you, just throw out some things that might be a hindrance to someone who, who um, is seeking Christ? Come on, guys. Boring. Come on. Give it to me. Talk to me. Stiff. Are we talking about the church or me? What else we got out there? Come on, be real with me. What was that? What's that? Oh, she said money. Okay, okay. Give me some other reasons. Some other reasons. Discomfort. Restricting. Doubt. Now, there are a lot of other reasons that I've heard. And um, Jason, I'm going to call you out. Give me some. As, as the reason why I'm calling on Jason is because his small group this, this season um, was able to talk about certain topics that might, you know, people have questions about with Christianity, walking their Christian walk. So we had doubt. We had wealth. We had... I'll put it like this, lifestyle. We had romantic, um, I guess, relationships. It's different things that hinder us from surrendering completely to God. But I said that to say this, as Christians, we're not exempt, right? We're not exempt from those thoughts. Even as we say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I give it all to you. Whatever you want to do with me, Lord, do it to an extent. Sometimes we use excuses to why we can't surrender everything. We can't surrender our whole life wholeheartedly to Jesus. So today we're going to go through a story. We're going to go through the story of the Bible, and it's going to highlight how our decisions to follow Jesus are often influenced by what we prioritize. Sometimes, as we screamed out, it might be money, it might be relationships, it might be lifestyle, it might be friends, it might be doubt, it might be just questions in general. But the list goes on and on and on. Now, before I give, we jump into the text, um, I do want to just give you a little quick little backstory of what happened before Luke 9. See, Jesus was preparing for the coming of the kingdom and for his accession. He had taught and developed his disciples, and he acquired more along the way. He had been healing. He had been ministering to the multitude. And just so happened, during one of his walks, he encounters what I would like to call three aspiring disciples. So let's go ahead and go to Luke 9, verses five, um, 57 through 62. And if you could just stand up on your feet, and we're just going to try to read this out loud together. I'll give you some time to turn there. Our, the blessings of technology is going to be on the screen there for you. 
I will be reading from the New King James Version because, as you know, I am a King James baby, but I did not want to do the these and thous and hithers for you today. So I have already gone ahead and gone to the New King James Version. So it says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I will follow you, but first, but let me, let me first go and bid farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we begin to dive into your word and we seek to know you even more, Lord, I ask that you open our ear gates to hear you, open our hearts to receive, you open our spirit, man, to be empowered. Lord, remove any distractions, any thoughts that are not of you, Lord God, and let us just embrace you in this moment. Let us experience you through the word, and let us even see ourselves in some of these scriptures, Lord God, so that we can be transformed by your word. Lord, we thank you for all of these things, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. And we, pray, we say, amen, amen. You may be seated. So let's go ahead and, I say, dive into the word. Here we are witnessing the accounts of the aspiring disciples. They want to follow Jesus, but the nuances of their responses also show a disconnect between the heart and their willingness to actually follow. And also, we witness here Jesus being very candid and truthful with them, with his responses. This is the part of the text that puts me in the mindset. You guys remember the rich young ruler? By a show of hands, anybody remember the rich young ruler? Okay. So, he is one that could have been one of Jesus' disciples if he obeyed. I know for some of you who don't remember the story, we're just going to go ahead and go to the scripture on it. So go to Matthew 19, 16 through 24. That is Matthew 19, 16 through 24. And it says, now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good things shall I do to have eternal life? So he said to him, what do, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, shall, you shall not murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness, honor your mother and your father, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all those things I have kept from my youth. 
what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, go sell what you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. This young ruler had a choice to leave everything behind and follow Christ as one of his disciples. But he couldn't bear with the cost and walked away. Like the rich young ruler, these three aspiring disciples were eager to follow and thought. But they had not considered or realized what the life of discipleship was and that it will cost you something. I often hear people say salvation doesn't cost you anything. Maybe true. But being a disciple of God, being a disciple of Christ, not just a follower, it will cost you. Jesus expresses this in um, Luke 9, 23 through 24. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him first deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whosoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Before we go a little further into what the cost of being a disciple is, I want you to understand that there is a difference between being a disciple and a follower. See, a discipler is considered to be a follower of Christ. Yes, indeed, they are. But disciples, indeed, are followers of Jesus, but not all followers are disciples. Are you following me? We're there. We're following me. Say something to me. I got you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So knowing this, I just want to give you a couple of characteristics, four characteristics of what um, a disciple of Christ carries. He believes his doctrine, which is Christ's doctrine. He rests on Christ's sacrifice. He embodies Christ's spirit and he imitates his example. See, not all followers of Christ fit those characteristics. A follower of Christ is one who may follow him, believes in the power of his spirit, but may not commit to following Christ beyond the point of where God, where Christ meets their immediate need. We've seen that, we heard that before in one of the series er earlier when Pastor Garfield was talking about Christ um, feeding the multitude and the people only wanted the bread. A true disciple of Christ doesn't just want the bread. Let's go ahead and move forward to Luke 9.57. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself. 
for the sake of um, deciphering between the three people that we're going to talk about here, the three aspiring disciples. I'm going to call the first one the enthusiast. The enthusiast is one who is a follower of Christ. They acknowledge his doctrine as it says. They believe they want to commit to following as a disciple, but they're a little afraid of leaving their lifestyle and their comfort. Luke 9, 57 through 58 says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nets, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Can you imagine you running up to Jesus in the, in the crowd and you're so excited because you want to be a part of his ministry and follow him and everything. And, and you're like, yes, put me in coach. And he says to you, if you follow me, you have to leave your comfort. If you follow me, you might not have anywhere to lay your head. See, this aspiring disciple, he was eager to follow Jesus without reservation at first until Jesus expressed the potential cost of him being a wanderer. Jesus, well knowing the task that was ahead of him, needed to forewarn this this would-be disciple of the potential of the unpleasantries of giving up comfort, the comfort of home to become a traveler, moving from place to place for the sake of the gospel. Think about it for a moment. Could you actually put down everything today and move? Because Christ said to him, he says, follow me. There are times in Jesus' life and the disciples' life where they had to flee potential prosecution or just move because God instructed them to do so. Jesus knew even though that this particular man was enthusiastic and he really wanted to follow him. But Jesus knew that it was not enough to sustain him when the trials will come. You need a little more than excitement in trials. You need word, you need foundation. You need a true relationship with Christ. Not for the sake of seeing Christ do miracles and wonders and healing and just following along his side. But Jesus needed some people that to actually take his place, to do the healing, to do the ministering. Now, Luke doesn't say that this man responded which kind of bothered me because I really wanted to know what his response was going to be. <laughs> but it doesn't say anywhere in scripture that he responded. And that's because probably Luke wanted us to focus more on the heart posture of these followers in this text. 
rather than their responses. And these next two followers that we're gonna talk about or we're gonna look into, their heart posture was pretty revealing. So next up, we're gonna call on the spiritual procrastinator. Now the spiritual procrastinator is a follower of Christ, once again, acknowledges his doctrine, once again, avoids the cross and the sacrifice. They believe they wanna be committed, but the timing doesn't seem right. If we go to back to Luke, um, Luke 9, 59 through 6, and we read this scripture again, it says, then he said to another, this he said, he said, follow me. This one did not volunteer. This one didn't say, I'll follow you. He actually said to this one, follow me. He called him. But he said, this is his response, but he said, Lord, First, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own. But you go and you preach the kingdom of God. When I first read this scripture years ago, <laughs> I um, could not for the life of me understand why Jesus would not allow this man to bury his father. But I thank the Lord for revelation and cultural contextualization. Many scholars believe that the father was not dead so that it, it would, if that was so, there would have been a visual, visual for the father. And this follower, our expiring disciple, would have not been in the area where Jesus was. He would not have been able to encounter Jesus. So, as many scholars believe that he was not dead, he was just up in age. This follower said, Lord, I want to follow you, but I need to wait until my father lives his life fully, then pass away, and then I will follow you. Now, there's nothing wrong with caring for your parents. That is not what Jesus is saying in this moment. That is not what he is saying. But he realized there is a procrastination there. There is an excuse there, not a valuable one, not, but there's an excuse there. And according to the culture, like many of the cultures that we have today, like our culture as well, is that when your parents get up in age, then the children become the caretakers. And when the time comes, they honor their, their parents, not only in life, but also in death. Where I'm come from, we call that a home going. See, though Jesus called this one, this is the only one he actually called out of the three. His response, was I'll follow you when my father dies. Maybe this is not your story. Perhaps you genuinely want to follow Christ, but you believe your story is too complicated. 
it's too complex for you to navigate through. And when you're ready to make that decision, you can fully commit everything as a Christian. Sometimes you wish that people would understand that making decisions in your life is not so easy, right? Every decision is not easy. It's hard. It's hard to make decisions. It's never simple. That's what this man was saying in this, in this particular text. That's what he's saying to Jesus. It's, it's a little hard, Lord. Let me, let me wait a little bit. And, and then, then I'll follow you. Let me take care of my father because, you know, that's the right thing to do. The, the word says, honor thy mother and thy father, right? It's written in the word. So let me do those things and I follow you. Let me give you a personal story. When Garfield, Pastor Garfield, correction, when Pastor Garfield um, just finished his doctoral studies, and began hesitantly looking for a different, different ministry opportunities. And you know why I say hesitantly, right? Because if you know the story, you know that we were very comfortable where we were. But as you see, God had other plans. But after several interviews with a potential church, they wanted to fly us out for the final interview. But they had no idea that at this time, that very same week, we were waiting for my father to come out of a medically induced coma. It was extremely touch and go. Between switching out um, with my mom so she can get some rest and being there just to monitor my dad and, and, and the doctors and everything, flying somewhere at that time for an interview was the least. that I can think about. It was the furthest thing from my mind. I remember even telling Garfield that, um, go ahead, go without me. Go ahead and see what happens. And if you know him, he gives you this look, kinda almost like the look of disappointment that you just said this to me. <laughs> but he gave, <laughs> he gave me that look and he was simply told me that he would not move without me. So I had a decision to make. I had to decide if I was gonna leave my mom and my dad and my siblings in the, in the certainties of my father's health. All of that was in the balance, just to go on an interview. But what happened was <laughs> the part of the story that is amazing to me is what happened next. I had to gain the courage to go and talk to my mom. And my mom just happened to be at the hospital as usual. And I went into the room, I'll never forget. She was sitting over here, my dad's bed is here. And it was an empty chair right there. I went feeling like a 10-year-old child, sat in the seat, looked across the room to my mother, and I said, head down. Mom, we've been given the opportunity to go and pastor 
in Washington State. And I don't believe that I can do it right now. And before I got to get the rest of my sentence out, this woman of God looked at me. And she says, you better do what the Lord called you to do. Me and your dad will be fine. And I was just like, at that moment, the weight that lifted off of me was a lot. And I said, okay, I'll walk in obedience. Me and Garfield went ahead and decided to go and make our, our runs and try to uh, and go ahead and set up our trip to Washington State. And the day before we stepped on that plane, my daddy woke up. And that's all I needed. In that moment, in my obedience, God honored it. He honored it. And even though we're still walking through a process with my dad, and Lord, we ask that that manifestation of healing comes upon him right now, God had given us victory in our obedience. So, to be honest, though I had been walking with Christ for some time, I thought I was completely surrendered. Like, I thought I surrendered everything to him. Every, every year of my life, I thought I gave it over. Like, literally, I thought. I was like, I've been walking this walk for 20-something years. Lord, there's nothing I hold from you until that moment. Until that moment. When this moment hit me, it challenged me. It challenged my thinking. It challenged my heart. I questioned God. I did all of those things. But as I said, in an obedience, God gave small victories. And guess what? I still get to love and lavish my mom and honor my mom while they are still living. Mama, I love you. I love you. Hopefully you're watching. And I'm not talking to myself, but I love you. Um, I'm able to, we're still able to honor them even in this. Even in us moving clear across the states. I'm able to go back home and visit, love on my parents, and still walk the Christian walk with Christ. Still be a disciple. Now my story... Um, might not be exactly the story of the person in this text, the aspiring disciple, but it was very similar, very similar, very, very similar. And I don't know if you actually find yourself somewhere in those scriptures or you find yourself somewhere in my story. Some of us have parents back home that we would love to care for, and God is saying, hey, I need you to do this. In this season, I need you to be in Berkeley. And you're like okay, God, I'm struggling with this. But there is a promise, and there is victory. And I thank God for that. And if you still feel yourself contemplating when to respond to God's call because of your current circumstances, you may think, you may have to think about it, even in this moment. What is the greatest priority in your personal life right now? If you have a pen and paper, I want you to write it down. In this moment, take a moment, 
think about what is the greatest priority in your life in this moment. And think about how it compares to the response that you give to Jesus and the willingness to, to forsake everything to follow him. We're going to go ahead and as you're thinking about that and you're writing it down, I want, I want you to really, really think hard. What is it that the Lord is saying for you to do that you're not being obedient to because of a current circumstance? And at the end of service, we're going to lay that before him, okay? But let's go ahead and move on to our next expiring disciple. And I call this one the conflicted soul. And we find his story in Luke 9, 61, 62. And this is the last part of that, that particular passage concerning those aspiring disciples. And it simply says, and another said, Lord, this is another one who said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to them, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus always had a good clap back always. I desire to have that clap back. <laughs> one that is holy, one that is loving, but one that corrects you. See, this conflicted soul was a person who acknowledges the doctrine of Christ. He believes he really wants to follow Christ, but he has to say goodbye to his past that he might not be so willing to do. There are so many examples of and explanations of this kind of follower in the, in the Bible, but one that we can identify with that we heard her story a lot is Lot's wife. In the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, as Lot and his wife and his daughters are running away from destruction of the city of Sodom, his wife does the very thing that she was instructed not to do. And that was what? Get together. One, two, three. Don't look. The one thing, she only had one job, to not look back. But she did. To bring this in the conflicted soul um, in perspective, uh, this person is someone who knows the word, truly believes what the word is saying, and they truly believe they're ready to follow Christ, right? But their heart or their thoughts are causing distractions and causing them not to be able to surrender their life completely. But it's not the person's response that gets me. It's always Jesus' response. Always. Jesus' reply always draws me a little more than any excuse or any other thing that someone may say in the scripture. Jesus, he's the king. 
see, we're going to just look at that portion that it says, no one having put their hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. That's ouch. Okay, let me put it in some perspective. Can you imagine you doing ministry and you've been doing it for five years and everything and Jesus said, well, I need you to do something else. I need you to do this instead. And you give an excuse and then he tells you that. No one having put their hand to the plow, no one called to work and is doing the work will look back and look back is fit for the kingdom. See, in biblical days, they used this, this, this tool, um, the art or the, the scratch plow, um, plow. I think we might have a picture of it. Do we? You see that? So for you to be able to plow, you attach this equipment to what they call draft animals, similar to the ones in the picture here. And the person that's holding the plow needs to monitor the direction and the speed of the animals. Not only do they have to monitor the, measure, the direction and the speed of these animals, but they also have to leverage the pressure on the plow. If you do like this, it sways. So they have to be in complete control to make sure that it is stable and positioned. If either is skewed, if that farmer takes their eyes off of the animals before them or get distracted to look back from holding that plow, everything can be taken off course and there will be damages and consequences. See, plowing is, Jesus, I believe Jesus gave this analogy because plowing is something that takes intentionality. It takes focus. You have to keep looking forward until the work is complete. Or you risk going off track and losing everything. This imagery reflects the importance of the commitment that is needed to follow Christ. That one cannot look forward and look back at the same time. That where we need to be looking at is before, what's before us and forgetting those things that are behind. Interesting enough, Jesus makes mention of Lot's wife again in Luke 32 when he discusses the kingdom of God with his disciples. It says this, in that day... He who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him come down to take them away. And likewise, the person who is in the field, being like the farmer, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. See, God was very, very, um, the reason why he uses this, this, this analogy is because so we can have a better understanding of it, 
of what it is to walk fully before him, what it is to not look back, what it is to give up some things in order to see the kingdom of head, ahead of you. Now, I just want to suggest something. We talked about three aspiring disciples, but I want to give you an example of true disciples, right? You don't want to just hear about how things may have gone wrong or these excuses that can be made and all of this, but I want to also give you what a surrendered disciple looks like. And we can find that, of course, we can find this in Matthew 4, 18 through 22, right? Who knows what's in Matthew 18, 22? Go ahead and you can go ahead and go there and then tell me if you, if you don't remember. Come on, somebody. What's happening here? Yes, the first disciples. Oh, I wasn't supposed to be so excited about that. Um, yes, the first disciples. The prime example of what we should base what a disciple looks like according to. And I call this the surrendered one. As Jesus, in the scripture, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, the James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in the boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they did what? Talk to me. It's not up there? Okay, I'm sorry. My, I apologize. So immediately, they left the boat and followed their father. I mean, left their boat and their father and followed him. Do you see that? In both instances, um, they immediately got up. They left everything behind, and they followed him. Pastor Garfield mentioned before that those men seemed to be uneducated, but they had lives, and they had businesses, and they had families. They, too, could have come up with any excuse. I mean, they were working. They were with their father. They could even come up with better excuses than the expiring disciples. But on the call, they immediately chose to surrender their life, follow Christ, and impact the world. That's why we are sitting in this congregation today, because of their obedience. So, as their example, a surrendered one is one who desires to follow Jesus. One who first denies himself, who understands the cost, who carries his cross daily, 
and follows Jesus anyway. Now, some of us today can find ourselves as the enthusiast in the beginning, right? Put me in coach, as I said before. I'm ready, I'm ready. And you know, we always like to say, repeat that scripture. If you want to send anybody, Lord, send me, I'm ready. But the reality is that we will have to change our lives. We will be faced with some uncomfortable places and situations as we surrender this life. And some of us today might may be a spiritual procrastinator. We are aware that, there, that we are a part of the kingdom, that we have a part to play. But maybe because of stepping out of fear, are genuinely, there are things in our life that has our focus. We might not be willing to surrender just yet. Sometimes we even think, Lord, you can choose somebody better than me. Call on such and such. She's been, she's been ministering this, and she's been doing this, and she's been leading large, um, small groups for, for 10 years. Won't you, won't you have her to do this? I'm not qualified. Or you might be the, conflict, the conflicted soul. You know the word. You can speak the word. But something's holding you back from truly living the word. For example, you might feel that you need to fix your past before you are able to surrender to God. You might have some struggles in your life, some, some addictions that you have to deal with. And there's an issue with you surrendering everything, your mind, body, and spirit. Those of you who know me know this. I always say this. That, and I can't say it enough, you cannot do this Christian walk alone. And you cannot fix yourself. This is why God has given us a body of believers to walk alongside. This is why God has given us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, to correct us when we're wrong, to re-steer us, redirect us when we go off our path. And as long as we are repentant, that means that if you committed a sin, that you have turned away from it. True repentance is not picking it back up. Once you have done that, hold your head up. Ask the Lord to help you. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you, to help you walk through this. But a conflicted soul, just know you're not far away from God. So here's the thing. Wherever you find yourself today, the only thing that I pray is that we all get to the place that we are the surrendered one. And it might not be easy, but... Becoming a disciple and walking through the act of obedience, despite the earthly cost, we can walk into his kingdom assignment 
and with his authority. Jesus' selection of his disciples was very calculated. It was very precise because he was not only preparing for him to leave this earth, but he was also preparing for us to do kingdom in this earth. Let's take a look at the Luke 10, 1 through 11. It says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and he sent them two by two before, the, before his face in every city and every place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I will send out um, you out as lambs among the wolves. Carry nothing, carry neither money bag, um, knapsack, or sandals, and greet no one along the road, but whatever house you enter, say first peace to this house. And if the son of peace is there, then you, your peace will, re will rest on it. If not, it will return to you and remain the same in the house, eating and drinking such things as they give you, for a laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from the house to, do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as you are set, that are set before you, and heal the sick there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whether the city, but whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, the very dust of the city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near you. The kingdom of God has come near translates to the coming of God's power and authority. And as we move forward and look at Luke 6, 17 and 21, we see it says, Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. This means those who are followers, hence disciples, true followers, hence disciples of Christ, while doing the work of the Father, he moves from being his power and authority from being a place that is near you to actually placing it in you so you can operate in his power and authority. And that still exists to this day. So as I begin to close, worship team, you can come on up. We have seen all of the characters of the four aspiring disciples. You have the conflicted one. You have the spiritual procrastinator. You have the surrendered one. You have the enthusiast. Where are you today? Are you willing to give up everything to follow Christ? 
in scriptures, Jesus invited followers to become disciples and follow. And likewise, his disciples called others to follow them as they follow Christ. That invitation is still here. It's here. But that means leaving the lives that we once knew and embarking on a new life of discipleship with him. It means taking on the heavenly mindset and committing to embracing a life that is focused not on temporal things, but on an eternity. It's taking on his character and partnering with his kingdom assignment in this earth. See, our lives have to shift from being inward perspective to a heavenly perspective, carrying God's image to the world carrying out his good news and the resurrection and the truth of the life of Jesus to minister to those in need. Family, the harvest is ripe. But if you see yourself in any of these aspiring disciples, now is your time to surrender. Now to those who, I'm talking now to those who don't have a relationship with Christ. You might be an unbeliever, you might be a seeker, you might just be like someone who doesn't, who wants to know who this Jesus is. But you probably saw yourself in one of these aspiring disciples as well. The good news is that Jesus wants a relationship with you. And it's available today. It doesn't matter what sin you've done or how unworthy you might feel or how unclean you may feel. No matter what addiction or burden you carry, shame you might carry, Jesus loves you. And he's calling you to him. But I have to be like Jesus and tell you there's a caveat to all of this. When you begin to recognize him as Savior, you must still recognize him as King, ruler of your life. It may cost you some things. <laughs> it may cost you some friends. It may even cost family. It may cost lifestyle. It may cost comfort but your obedience to God leads to a transformational life one of pure redemption and freedom and one that others can bear witness to and you can lead them in the way of discipleship Teaching the gospel, sharing the good news with the brokenhearted, with the wounded, with the poor. That is our mission. Jesus didn't prepare these disciples for that moment. He prepared them for this one and the moments to come. 
Will you be a part of that journey? Will you partner with God to change our world? The first step, complete surrender. As the worship team um, begins to minister in song, I want you to contemplate that. What are you willing to let go? What are you willing to leave behind? As we um, talked about the different disciples today, wherever you find yourself at, I just want to pray over you. And if you are one who's contemplating surrendering your life to God, calling him Savior, I want to be able to pray for you as well. Heavenly Father, Lord God, you see our hearts, you heard our cries, you heard even our excuses, and you still say to us, come. So, Lord, in this moment, wherever you are, Lord God, if we are that procrastinated, that conflicted soul, that enthusiast, Lord, we say in this moment we surrender everything to you. Lord, do whatever you want to do in and through our life, Lord God. Use our life as a fragrance of your glory in this world. We are ready to enter in to become the laborers in the fields. And Lord, for those who are in our midst, who want to have a relationship with you, if you are in the building or if you're online, I just want you to repeat after me. And if the rest of the congregation wants to do it as well, just to show us on his support, it's fine. But I say this, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I confess with my mouth and believe with my heart that you are the one and risen king, that you are now my personal Lord and Savior. So, Lord, use me and my life as a testimony to those who I, that I encounter. Lord, lead me to a church that will build me, that will love on me, that will help me lead this Christian walk. And Lord, I say thank you for bringing me into the fold, for calling me your son, our daughter. Lord, we thank you for them. Lord, we bless you for them. Now, Lord God, I seal this prayer under your blood. I seal this prayer under your grace. That from now on, from this moment on, those who pray today will not be the same. You are now set free. You can walk in freedom and wholeness and surrender and son to God. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>